Hello, and welcome to Indiana Issues, the weekly public affairs program that goes beyond the headlines and sound bites to bring you Indiana's newsmakers in their entirety. I'm your host, Abdul Kim Shabazi, editor and publisher of IndyPolitics.org. Today on Indiana Issues, with less than 30 days to go before early voting begins in Indiana, we'll talk with our political panel. And this month is National Recovery Month. We'll have details. Indiana Issues underwritten in part by the Indiana Conference of Mayors, our trust local program, the Indiana Chamber of Commerce, Ivy Tech Community College, the Small Business Law Firm of Thrasher, Bushman, and Vocal, the Institute for Quality Education, the Indiana Civil Rights Commission, and Downtown Comics, your place to escape. You're listening to Indiana Issues. When I started Ivy Tech, I lacked the confidence to do what I do now. They gave me confidence. And they helped me know that I could do anything. It actually puts you out there with the people that you're going to be working for. When we hire a graduate from Ivy Tech, we know that that individual is going to come to us very knowledgeable. A student can in two years get a degree that prepares him for a job. It's a partnership, and that's been great for us, and it's been great for them. I'm doing things now I never dreamed I'd be doing years ago. Do you want an investment that is sure to pay off? For Hoosier businesses, there's no better deal than membership in the Indiana Chamber. Members get free sales leads, human resource consulting, and access to a PR resource center. And that's just for starters. The Indiana Chamber is 800,000 employees and 5,000 companies strong, with room for many more. Take advantage today to receive benefits that will help your company thrive. Call 800-824-6885 or visit indianachamber.com. I'm a single woman with a full-time job and a high credit score, but was recently turned down for a loan. I was denied a promotion where I worked because of a previous injury. I couldn't get into the grocery store because the entrance was not wheelchair accessible. The Indiana Civil Rights Commission reminds you that discrimination still happens. If you feel that you have been the victim of discrimination, call the Indiana Civil Rights Commission at 1-866-332-4748 or visit our website at in.gov backslash ICRC. This message is brought to you by the State of Indiana Civil Rights Commission. Welcome back to Indiana Issues. I'm your host, Abdul Kim Shabazz, the editor and publisher of IndyPolitics.org. Well, although the election is two months away, there are still less than 30 days to go before early voting begins. So with that, we decided to get our political panel back together. Joining us now are Democrat Kip Two, Republican Jim Merritt, and Independent Brad Kloppenstein. Gentlemen, thanks for joining us. Thank Glad you, to be Abdul. here. Abdul. The newly married Kloppenstein. <laughs> yeah, I'm here with Abdul Kip Two and the man who heckled me at my own wedding. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was my job. <laughs> so there we go. Uh, so, uh, Kip, let's start with you. How would you describe Indiana's political climate uh, almost sort of 30 days out from early voting? Really uncertain is how I would uh, uh, describe it. I think the abortion, um, the passage of the abortion ban at the state legislature in a special session, in a very hurried special session, has really uh, scrambled things here in the state. Uh, no other state uh, right now has done what Indiana's done, and um, we're seeing registrations up uh, at uh, presidential levels uh, in the state of Indiana on our side. Don't know what it means. I don't want to get too optimistic because every time I do, I, my hopes get dashed. But but something something uh, is out there that is happening. We'll see if it if it matures or not. Brad, how would you describe our climate these days? Uh, it's been interesting. This week was the first week that I'd actually seen any uh, political advertising uh, leading up to the election. Usually by now you've seen more than one. Good point. Multiple people. Um, I agree with Kip. I don't know what the Republicans were thinking. There was a red wave shaping up for November this year, and they completely just wiped it out. They could have held that, um, not done a special session on abortion, held that until the um, the long session in January. And I think they would have been a lot better off because now they've riled up the opposition. 
Jim? I, I talked to a lot of my friends at the state, uh, the Republican state convention, and I tried to encourage a lot of them to not go into special session and leave this for the actual session in 2023. And but they didn't. And many of them had written a, had written a letter to the governor demanding a session should uh, the Supreme Court do what they did. And uh, and <laughs> I agree with Kip as well. I think there's a lot of uncertainty out there. I think there's a lot of dust in the air. And um, I'm glad uh, Senator Kyle Walker is out on the airwaves now with an ad clop. And, and uh, it's... Um, you know, usually uh, you're right. Usually August, they're 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 priming the pump for campaigns, and once Labor Day comes, that's when everything just completely goes into the um in the, into the pipe, if, if you will, and people are just really just warming up, and and um, we see a lot about the Secretary of State's race. Um, uh, Todd Young's on the airwaves now, uh, Senator Todd Young. And um, it's it's setting up for a interesting September and October. Uh, Kim, you, brought, you, talk, you said it me an interesting point on voter registration because I just got uh, the information actually a few minutes ago before we decided to record this conversation. 54,980 new voter registrations uh, in Indiana between the primary and literally yesterday. Does that tell you anything or is that typical or i don't have the figures in front of me that you do but i've just i've heard anecdotally and i i read uh, i i read a blurb about it uh, a couple days ago or the day before yesterday i think it was so i don't have it in front of me so i'm not going to look as sound as smart as you do with with respect to the numbers but but you know i will just say that um we're all kind of in agreement here uh which is probably not as good a radio as it as it might be but actually you guys all agree on the same thing that's actually pretty darn good radio (laughs) You you know, Abdul, um, 54,000, what you said? Yeah, almost 55,000 new registered voters since uh, the May primary. Well, number one, I think all three of us, Republican, Independent, and and, uh, Democrat. And Libertarian. And Libertarian. Well, you're kind of an independent person, Klopp. I think all of us don't align with the parties that we joined 30 years ago. Yeah, but you know, um, every new voter is good for the state of Indiana. And uh, uh, I would encourage anybody listening to this, do register to vote, do vote. I think we'll have a really good view of what's going on when we see um, when we see the uh, people actually starting to vote 30 days from now or so. I wanted to touch on, if I can, sure. uh, what uh, Jim said that, you know, Senator Todd Young's on, on the air now. Past United States Senate races uh, that were competitive, uh, you had people pretty much on from the primary on. Uh, and lots of money being spent. That's very true. Uh, and, and and gubernatorial races as well. It's been very quiet uh, so far this political season with with respect to TV ads. Part of that is uh, a lot more is going digital. Um, you see stuff uh, in, in on the internet a bunch more and less on TV. I I'm sure that the TV stations are upset about that, but that's the way I guess things are are headed. People are not spending nearly as much time on network television as they used to. People are you know, avoiding um, paying cable fees and they're streaming everything. And so it's become a great challenge for politicians um, in the modern era now to communicate with voters. It's harder and, and harder and harder. Our guests on the program today are Democrat Kip Two, Independent uh, Brad Kloppenstein, Jim Merritt, Republican. Talk about sort of the uh, upcoming election. Uh, like I said, 30 days out uh, from regular voting. Uh, Brad, it's interesting because uh, uh, 
the the abortion issue is sort of sort of the undertow in a lot of this. If you look at what happened in Kansas, uh, look at what happened in the special district in New York where the Democrat won, which is like a barometer, and actually even Alaska. They had a special election, and the Democrat won for like the first time in like 60-something years. A lot of folks are saying that the abortion was sort of underneath all that. Do you see that sort of repeating itself uh, here in Indiana? Indiana's a, a little bit different. Um, I, I do think a majority of Hoosiers probably support abortion rights. Um, however, there's a lot of districts where that's not the case, and just the way it's been gerrymandered, Republicans are going to do just fine. Heck, the, I don't the Democrats, I don't think, are running candidates in half the House races. So even if every Democrat won, they're still not going to have a majority. So it, you might see a little bit of a shift. So, it, you know, those competitive districts, and there's maybe three or four of them out there, you might see a shift towards the Democrats, but you're not going to see a wholesale change just because there's not enough candidates on the ballot challenging. Jim, what do you think? Um, you know, you, you bring up Alaska. Um, two two candidates, Palin and Begich, um, split the vote. I, I for, firmly uh, believe that you're going to see uh, former Governor uh, Palin win that uh, November election, and so I don't I don't know if um, abortion came into into play there. There was a race out in New York that that the candidate did was front and center about supporting uh, abortion rights, and he did win, and so I don't know if it, it stretches to Indiana or not. I, I think. Uh, right now, after special session ended, uh, anecdotal is Kip would say is that that um, women in the Republican Party are very upset, and then they've told me so when I'm at picnics and different Republican events, and so I just don't know how that's going to play out. And and for um, tight races, tight Senate races, tight um, House races, as Klopp said, there's not very many of them. Uh, may play uh, may play a role, but I I I go back to the fact that everybody votes their pocketbook, and um, who knows if it's going to be a red wave or not. But but um, it certainly will be an interesting uh, fall in the state of Indiana. Kip, I, I don't think. I'm sorry, you were going to ask me. A question. Yeah, what do you think is going to happen, particularly in those those suburban districts, the the Jerry Tours, the Donna Shibleys, uh to less degree Chris Jeter, Todd Houston, because that's where a lot of the Republican women are, and that's where a lot of them are upset about uh, what the legislature did with the abortion issue. Yeah, I I I, I, I want to say quite a number of things. Number one, uh, every poll I've seen in the state of Indiana since I've been involved in politics. We're a pro-choice state. We've had pro-choice governors. We've had pro-choice senators. We are a pro-choice state. I I believe that the decision by the legislature to go into special session and to pass a near-total ban on abortion in the state of Indiana is going to hurt them in the polls. Um, how much remains to be seen? Those suburban districts are full of um, uh, folks who pay more attention, um, and it's not just women. Uh, it's men. Uh, I've seen national polling that has shown that men, particularly fathers, have moved to the Democratic Party um, by 10 points, 15 points in some places. So it's not just women who are mad. They are definitely mad. Um, and, I, and I disagree with Jim. I don't think uh, actually the last couple election cycles people have voted uh, their pocketbooks. They're, they've been uh, they've been voting uh, much more. Uh, based on uh, attitudes rather than uh, based upon um, their pocketbook. And uh, if they do vote their pocketbook and people look at the economy, uh, then Democrats are going to be in good shape because actually the economy is in good shape. Uh, inflation has been a problem, but it's coming down. Gas prices have come down. We've had record job growth under this president. So if you just look at the facts uh, and they vote their pocketbooks, we're going to be in great shape. Um, but 
the perception is the economy is not very good, uh, which is very surprising because it is actually. We've we've created more jobs in uh, first Biden administration any time in history. Uh, part of that, of course, is the pandemic. Uh, coming off the pandemic, people, um, uh, folks are looking for jobs, and we've had a surge in you know the economy has surged. Um, but I, you know, I don't know what the election holds. Uh, you know, you've the question you asked specifically was what's going to happen in the suburbs. We were very hopeful in 2020 that the backlash to Donald Trump would uh, inure to the benefit of Democrats, and we didn't see it. Um, and so my my optimism this time is tempered by what happened two years ago. I think though, um, my my intuition tells me that there are always tipping points in politics. And I believe this abortion um, debate that is now going on because it's real. It was always sort of um, esoteric and uh, an academic argument. What if Roe v. Wade wasn't there? Roe v. Wade's no longer there. People know it. They feel it. After September 15th, if the Supreme Court doesn't put it on, uh, doesn't stay the thing, people are not going to be able to get abortions in the state of Indiana. And that's a real, real thing. Our guests in the program today are Democrat Kip Two, Independent Brad Kloppenstein, and Jim Merritt, Republican. As we're talking about uh, the upcoming election cycle, uh, just 30 days out uh, from uh, early voting beginning in the state of Indiana. I want to change gears, switch over to the Senate race. Uh, Jim, Todd Young, Tom McDermott, uh, and Jim Siniak. Uh, Tom McDermott put out a poll from Change Research. I've used Change Research uh, back in 2020. Uh, they're, they're a reputable poll for pollster, uh, but they said the race was in uh, almost, almost sort of statistically tied do you, do you buy it? Is should Ty Young be concerned? I, I don't buy it. I, uh, Abdul, you know I've talked about GoFundMe pages. This is a Go Like Me page. This is something that was online. It 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 to me the site the science of it doesn't work. I think I think uh, Todd Young wins by 68 percent of the vote, and uh, I, I think that Todd Young has. Um, brought it home and and uh i don't believe that many people know uh mayor mcdermott um south of i-30 in in, um in lake county and i think todd young's running a very good two-year campaign and i think he's going to win handily brad what do you think i don't understand why a candidate would spend money on a on a flawed poll flawed from the beginning he left james siniak out of the poll you know siniak's going to poll between five and ten percent why not include him in your poll? All you're getting is bad data. So, I mean, it's good for a press release, but that is dumb, a dumb way to spend money, and nobody should pay attention to that poll. And maybe they ought to look at Tom McDermott and say, if this is how you're going to run your campaign, is that how you're going to be as a U.S. senator? Maybe not. I think this is nothing but good for CINIAC. I talked to the pollster, <laughs> uh, <laughs> unlike the rest of you, uh, and I think it's a good poll. Um, I, I think Brett has a, a point. Uh, probably would be better data if the uh, if the Libertarian was included last time, 2020. Obviously, the Libertarian in the state of Indiana got a hell of a lot of votes in the governor's race, and it'll be interesting to see if that repeats. But here's the thing. Um, part of that was a backlash against Governor Holcomb that the Libertarians did so well. Um, I think in this case, or in the last case, a lot of those votes were taken away from the Democrat. Uh, as you could see, we lost 30 counties um, across the state to the Libertarian candidate or somewhere somewhere in that neighborhood. We had an historically uh, weak uh, gubernatorial candidate in, in that race. This time, I believe uh, there's a different kind of calculation. Uh, I don't believe that Todd Young, uh, I think he's in the same kind of boat with respect to uh, where the Trump people are as they were with Governor Holcomb, sort of the 
traditional Republican like Jim Merritt over here, uh, part of the establishment, long time serving. Uh, the Trump people don't trust them. They don't trust those people. Uh, it is a difficult thing for them to get over. And I think there's going to be some bleeding from uh, Todd Young to the libertarian candidate in, in this race. And I believe abortion helps uh, helps Tom McDermott uh, a great deal, more than people are uh, taking a look at. The question, of course, becomes is Tom going to be able to get a message out here in the next couple of months? And that's the open question. Uh, his fundraising has picked up a great deal um, since the Dobbs decision. Um, and we'll, we will just see. Um, there's always, you know, the opportunity for big surprises. Nobody expected that um, that Greg Ballard would win the mayor's race uh, when he won the original mayor's race. No one expected Joe Hogsett to beat uh, Bill Hudnut. So Indiana historically has come up with big surprises every decade. Uh, this could be the big surprise this time around. Uh, Jim, let me ask you, is this going to be a Joe Donnelly, Jennifer McCormick election or just a regular election? <laughs> That's a very good question. I, I, uh, I, I, I don't agree with Kip that there's going to be a surprise. Uh, there's really nothing in the offing that's going to get in uh, Todd Young's way. He's got plenty of money. He's on TV. He's been around the state constantly in his, his six years as a state senator. And, and I still believe that no one knows who Tom McDermott is. It's that very might hard. be helping him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is that about yeah. him? <laughs> I, I was going to ask, can Tom McDermott keep it together for two months and not say anything crazy before the election? You know, Tom McDermott, I, I apologize for interrupting you. It was, no, really, it's, really, it's it was really for laughs. But, I mean, Tom McDermott is a lot like Donald Trump in some respects, right? And so that could help him and it could hurt him. It could hurt him with his base if some in the base see more of his uh, 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 outspokenness um, and and sort of off the cuff. But the, the thing that would help him if people saw that side of him is I really think people in politics days are looking for folks who are genuine, who don't come off as your run-of-the-mill um, politician. Todd Young's ads to me look like uh, they could have been made 10 years ago. In fact, I think a lot of the, a lot of the B-rolls from his last time he ran. And I think that's a big mistake in today's politics. I mean, you t people are looking for someone to shake things up. That's what the last few elections have been about. I don't think that dynamic has changed at all. And Tom McDermott is a change agent. I know he's been the mayor of Hammond, but he has been uh, a, a very different kind of public official. He comes down to the legislature and picks fights. Um, you know, when you were a state senator, he was unabashed about taking you all on. If he thought you guys were doing the wrong thing, he'd call you names. He'd 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 bash you. Uh, he has a radio program like Abdul. He's about as outrageous as Abdul can be. <laughs> uh, up up in northern Indiana, he is the prototype of today's politician that can connect with folks. The question's going to be: Is there enough time? Are people going to know him enough to do that? And that that's the question that of the campaign because I think. As a personality, and people vote attitudes now more than ideology. I think they've been doing that for a little while, and people are missing that. Uh, uh, his attitude is the attitude people want. Brad, we've got about six seconds left in this segment. Uh, what does James Simniak have to do to sort of break out in all this? Be present. Not say anything crazy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> kind of like the others. Um, obviously, there's a there's. He's at a funding disadvantage, so he's got to go out there and do the retail politics and shake hands and attend as many festivals as he can and just make sure that he's present and then also present well in the, the one debate that they're having. 
Um, I think that'll be his big opportunity on a statewide stage to show who he is and really introduce himself. Our guests on the program today are Republican Jim Merritt, Independent Brad Kloppenstein, Democrat Kip Two. as we are about 30 days out from early voting beginning here in the state of Indiana and 60 days out uh, from the actual election. So we're just sort of doing a lay of the land and getting a feel for uh, what we can expect. Uh, Jim, I want to change gears and go to the Secretary of State's race, which for some strange reason has been unexpectedly a lot more interesting than, than usual. You have Diego Morales, who beat Holly Sullivan at a convention. Uh, you've got Destiny Scott Wells. you got Jeff Moore. Uh, Kip, we'll start with you. Uh, a poll just came out. Uh, we, uh, my pollster, ARW Strategies, uh, polled uh, back in July, and they said Destiny Wells was actually ahead of Diego Morales, like 31 to 28. Jeff Moore was about 7%. The rest were undecided. Uh, does that surprise you, or do Democrats have a, or do, or do you think Democrats have a fighting chance uh, to take the Secretary of State's office this year? Well, I know it's going to shock you for me to say I think we've got a fighting chance. I think we've got more than. Actually, I think you do too. I think we got more than a fighting chance. I think that Destiny Scott Wells may may, may very well win. Um, again, I think there's a whole bunch of confluence of things that are causing that. The contested um, state convention between Holly Sullivan and Diego Morales uh, still has a bunch of hard feelings uh, inside the Republican Party, and Diego has not. Um, uh, been able yet to, at this point to unify the party behind him. Um, and Destiny Scott Wells has the, the support of every Democrat that I know. Uh, there's nobody harping or, or complaining about her. It's everybody's in the tent and trying to push her forward. Uh, lots of elected officials around the state, Democratic elected officials are pushing for her, helping her doing fundraising. Um, so I, I think she's got a real shot. Um, we shall see. The problem with a Secretary of State's race, a down-ballot race, always is who pays attention. Um, are the voters going to key in on it? And I think, uh, you know, even though the Secretary of State's office doesn't have a direct um, uh, uh, sort of con uh, nexus with abortion, I think that it matters in this issue. And if I were Destiny Scott Wells, I'd be putting ads up everywhere I can. We cannot let Diego Morales run elections in the state of Indiana because if he's the guy in charge of elections, your abortions – uh, you know, the abortion issue is going to be gone again. So, I, I mean, that's that's how I would tie it. I mean, we've had people with uh, uh, win statewide race with uh, with uh, issues that have less to do with the secretary of state's office before. So it it, it really uh, it, it matters that you uh, deal with what's in front of you. Uh, Jim, let me ask you, uh, is Diego Morales vulnerable as a Republican? Well, first, first of all, I this is going to be a turnout election when it comes to the secretary of state's office. And the the I. I <laughs> And having said that, I was at a picnic uh, several weeks ago, and there was a Republican with a Destiny Wells T-shirt on. <laughs> and so, so um, what Kip says is, has some truth to it. And and uh, I, I think Diego wins. I think we're. I think uh, Republicans. Uh, Kip is exactly right. It's a down ballot race, and and I, I think there's still some movement out there that it's a red wave uh, that people uh, are discounting right now because of issues such as the uh, life issue. But um, and yet I think Diego wins. And I think uh, but I but I don't discount Destiny as a good candidate. And uh, Diego's everywhere. He's he's meeting with anybody on a street corner, much less a picnic. But he won't debate him. And uh, I don't know about that. But I think uh, <laughs> the bottom line here is that uh, that Republicans will, if they turn out, uh, Diego wins. Jeff, uh, I'm sorry, Brad, what do you think about the, that whole fact that uh, Diego won't debate uh, Destiny or uh, Jeff Moore? And uh, essentially because the Democrat and Libertarian have actually started a social media campaign saying, hey, where's Diego? 
Abdul, there are two qualified candidates in the race for Secretary of State, and Diego Morales is not one of them. <laughs> Jeff Maurer would be a fantastic Secretary of State. Destiny Wells would be a okay Secretary of State. Diego Morales might not show up for work. And that, that is a legitimate concern. And that is the reason he's not wanting to debate. He's been fired from the Secretary of State's office once already. He quit when he was about to get fired another time. Honestly, the guy has not done anything. He can't prove what his job is. He doesn't show up to work. If He says he owns businesses, but then you don't know what those businesses are. This dude should not be on the ballot, and Republicans, are, I hope, are punished for putting this dude up there. And he pointed at me. <laughs> because you're the Republican in the room, Jim. I was wondering how you were going to tap dance around that whole question. And that was. Did I do well? Yes, because you didn't say you supported him. So that's. Well, no, I, 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 I supported him at the convention. I voted for him. And, Are you going to uh, vote for him in November? Yes, I will vote oh, for him. Oh, good God, I, man. <laughs> I, I will vote for him. And uh, I, I look forward to him being an outstanding Secretary of State. Dude, you were living in fantasy land yeah. on that one. I, I, now, that's good radio. Yeah, that's great radio. <laughs> Brad, let me ask you this, though. Uh, with Jeff Moore, uh, obviously, uh, libertarians need the Secretary of State race to maintain ballot access. Once they went 2 3%, uh, we polled Jeff was at 7%. There's possibility he could get maybe like 10%. The Republicans need the Secretary of State for ballot access. And if I were them, I would be concerned. I would be very concerned. Both of the guys next to me are going to lose some seats on local election boards because it's the top two candidates in the Secretary of State's race that determines who those representatives are. Jeff is going to do very well. He's very well funded. He's got an unusually weak Republican candidate. Um, Destiny Wells, I think, is going to do very, very well. But this is a quite an opportunity for libertarians. And I fully expect that Jeff will hit the threshold to where the Libertarians will have primary elections in uh, 2024. Our guests in the program today are independent Brad Kloppenstein, Democrat Kip 2, and Republican uh, Jim Merrick. As we were sort of uh, doing sort of a preview of the upcoming election, uh, 30 days until early voting begins. Uh, Kip, it's interesting, um, because speaking of Diego Morales, uh, he changed his position on early voting. Because at first he was like, you should only have to vote in person. Then it became 14 days of, of early voting. Now it's up to 28 days. Uh, of early voting, sort of back to back to normal. What, what does that say? What does what does that do? I don't think that many people are paying attention to that, except for people like us. Um, unfortunately, I wish people would pay closer attention to that because I think that you know democracy is under attack all over the country, and Diego is one of the foot soldiers in in trying to uh, diminish the rights. I think uh, he he switched positions, uh, which is at least encouraging to a, to a small degree, but it still is, is worrisome. Um, you know, it's amazing to me. Speaking of that, that in red states uh, where uh, Donald Trump won. There doesn't seem to be any problems with the election process, but in purple states and blue states, there seems to be some sort of problem with the election uh, that we've had. I mean, it's a, it's a bizarre sort of thing. Uh, it, it just points to how hypocritical and stupid the whole thing is uh, when Republicans won't even admit that Donald Trump lost. And we've got people running for office all throughout this state who will not admit what everyone uh, should know, and that is that the last election was free and fair, and and Joe Biden won. And the Secretary of State's race is a microcosm of that problem because Diego Morales is an election denier, um, and I don't believe someone who's an election denier ought to hold the Secretary of State's office. I mean, to me, it is fundamental to the American democracy that both parties and 
Libertarian Party all have faith in the electoral system, uh, in our elections, that when people go cast their ballot, they know it's going to count. And when we have one party actively telling people lies about it, it, it is it is corrosive to our democracy in the long term and could be corrosive in the short term. And so, I don't know. I don't think I answered your question, but you got me off on a tangent. <laughs> here, here. I would like to add, Indiana needs to get rid of straight ticket voting. If you want to have fair and open elections, Indiana is one of the last six states in the nation where you can still have straight ticket voting. That is the only reason Diego Morales will even be considered a, a contender for the Secretary of State's race. It's because you're going to get a whole bunch of blind or Republicans go out there and vote blindly straight ticket. You're also going to get some Democrats to go out there and vote blindly straight ticket. For God's sakes, it we've all run for office in this room. It is hard. You go out there and work your tail off. The voters should have to go through and go through every race and at least acknowledge the person they're voting for. How about ranked choice voting? <laughs> <laughs> I'd go for that, too. Well, well as a former uh, candidate for mayor, I agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jim, uh, but, uh, with, with Diego's sort of past issues, uh, his work at the Secretary of State's office, the $43,000 vehicle, uh, whatever else is out there, uh, how can you be sure that Republicans will stick by Diego Morales? Well, it's kind of been a rambunctious uh, campaign so far. And I think the reason why people will stick by Diego is because, it, it, and Kip said it, this noise that we talk about is inside these parties. And, you know, your poll may have given a little glimpse that some of it have, has squeaked out into the into the communities. But the uh, the people that are south of, of the, in, south of Washington Street in southern Indiana and in and, and pockets around the state of Indiana, they're, they're that are hard, um, hard R's aren't going to pay any attention uh, to um, what is said about Diego. They, they've met him. They see him. The campaign uh, has come to their town. And, uh, and what I saw with uh, Republicans in the convention and other places, uh, people like Diego, and they're going to vote for Diego. Well, let me uh, ask you a question, if I can. Sure. Take over your show. Whose show is this? <laughs> <laughs> Don't you think we have a crisis? Don't you agree that uh, the lie that the 2020 election uh, was stolen is a huge problem for the American democracy? Uh, Kip, I think we need to stop talking about it. I think that uh, we we move on. Is Joe Biden is Joe Biden the properly elected president of the United States? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And uh, and and I shouldn't surprise you that I would say something like that. I always am looking forward to the next. I'm thinking about 2022. I'm not thinking about 2020. Nor am I thinking about 2016. And uh, I think we start looking towards 2022, three. I, you know, we haven't even brought up school boards yet. I think I think the insurgents, I think the incumbents, I think school board, uh, the races, you look at the Commonwealth of Virginia uh, and you look at Florida. I think that's where a lot of be- people should be putting their emphasis on because parents are upset. There are PACs that are uh, Parents Matter PAC out in Brownsburg. There are a lot of places people are concerned about their kids being being educated or not educated and what the pandemic has done. And I think that's, uh, you know, we can talk about Secretary of State and U.S. Senate, but the rubber meets the road at the school board. And I think we ought to be talking more about that in the next 60 days. Our guest in the program, Republican Jim Merritt, Independent Brad Kloppenstein, uh, Democrat Kip Two. Got a few minutes left, gentlemen, before we uh, wrap up the program. What up, uh, sort of go local, uh, almost sort of uber local, and look at the Marion County prosecutors race. Uh, Ryan Mears, uh, Cindy, Cindy Carrasco. Uh, Obviously, uh, crime is a big issue, but it was interesting because when we when we pulled the issue, uh, the prosecutors race, a lot of people said Marion County was well, the public perception was the public perception was Marion County was not as safe as it was four years ago. 
but they don't blame the prosecutor or the mayor for that matter, which I thought was was interesting because usually there's one person that sort of takes the blame, the credit or the blame. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, Kip, let me start with you. Uh, Ryan Mears, he polled. He's 48% in our last poll, uh, still under 50%, uh, 36% undecided. Uh, is Mears vulnerable? I think Ryan Mears is going to win when running away, and and I think your poll reflects what reality is. Everybody knows that uh, the prosecutor can't stop people that want to have guns and they want to uh, they want to solve their disputes by shooting each other. I mean, the prosecutor can prosecute, but uh, crime prevention is what we need to do, and the legislature uh, has prevented us from any kind of. Uh, you know, gun safety or gun regulation whatsoever preempted this Marion County. And I think a lot of people in Marion County understand what the problem is. The problem is there's too damn many guns on the streets of Indianapolis. Jim? I, I think uh, people are upset about how uh, laws haven't been, uh, that have been, have been, you know, like, for instance, possession of cannabis. Uh, that's not prosecuted. The uh, no, you support that, that though. That doesn't right? bother me. Yeah. <laughs> you support that though, Jim. Right? It, the law is the law until we change it, and uh, and I support the law. Um, I, so I don't, don't believe that, that we should support changing the law, but okay. the law is the law, and and the red flag laws that uh, the prosecutor has. Uh, relatively ignored is a real problem. Cindy Carrasco has run a very good campaign. She, as a as a former countywide candidate, she has to work through the tape uh, along with all the everybody else on the ticket with her. The Republicans will continue to push push Cindy, and you just never know. It's it's like you said about McDermott. You just never know what's going to happen, a la Ballard, uh, a la Hogsett and Hudnut. Uh, there could be a surprise. Maybe not. I've seen Marion County as being a very blue county. It it just the reason why you continue to campaign is because there could be a surprise at the end. Brad, I think Cindy Cresco is a is a fantastic candidate that you've put up, and I I do think that there's a problem where Ryan Mears is letting people back out immediately. People who should not be on the streets, people that have a long long rap sheet, and there he's just letting them go. That is a problem. Unfortunately, like Jim said, this is a big blue county in Marion County, and you have to overcome 20 points just to be competitive. And I think Ryan Mears is going to get reelected, but I, I would hope people think twice about that. Uh, Kip, it's interesting. You, you talked about uh, sort of the crime thing, what the prosecutors, what the prosecutor can do and can't do. One of the, the, the issues has always been sort of the sort of our bail system and our judges sort of you know letting letting criminals go. Uh, but can the prosecutor you know, you know, fight harder for you know, tougher sentences? Is, is, there, is there certain things that the prosecutor can do to sort of mitigate? Obviously, you can't stop somebody from shooting somebody. But are, are there certain things the prosecutor can do to sort of mitigate our crime issue? Well, I mean, you know, the point that uh, keeping the criminals in jail that, and they can't shoot, I'm sure, uh, has some resonance with folks from a political process. But the fact of the matter is, Ryan Mears has been a very good prosecutor. His Conviction rates are very good. Uh, it's not that's not what's causing uh, people to shoot each other. Uh, what's causing people to shoot each other are larger societal issues that the Marion County prosecutor doesn't have a great ability to affect, um, and and that is that's just what we need to do. And I think most people understand that. Uh, most people don't believe that Ryan Mears is letting people out uh, to be soft on crime because it's a silly thing to say because he's a prosecutor. He's trying to get the bad guys behind behind bars. Um, I, I will tell you, I think one of the best things he's done is um, used his prosecutorial discretion, which prosecutors have, to say, I'm not going to 
throw a bunch of people in jail for minor marijuana possession uh, because it doesn't do the justice system any good to have that. And, you know, J Jim Merritt said the law is the law. There's all kind of laws that prosecutors all over this state uh, decline to prosecute because they have limited resources and they're going to concentrate on things that matter more. And the fact of the matter is actual crime in the city of Indianapolis is down. Actual crime across the country is down. Violent crime is up. And the, the reasons for violent crime are, are societal, and we have not tackled those. And I've gone into one of them, which is we we have gun fetish in this country. We have a gun fetish where people want to solve their problems. When I was a kid, if I was got in a fight, you know, or people got in a fight, they used their fists. Now people pull guns um, because everybody has them, and that is a huge problem. Uh, gentlemen, we've got just a couple minutes left here. I just want to uh, see what your what what's in your crystal ball. What are you predicting? What are you seeing over the next uh, 30, 60 days? Uh, Jim, we'll start with you. Well, I think it's right now. From just the crystal ball, I think it's pretty predictable. But you just never know what's going to happen six minutes from now. I, I think I think Diego wins. I think Senator Young wins. Uh, I, I think that uh, there might be uh, some a surprise up in Northwest Indiana. Uh, I think um, uh, Jennifer Ruth Green is running a really good congressional campaign uh, against Frank Mervan, uh, Representative Frank Mervan Jr. Uh, it, that, that it's stacked against uh, Jennifer, but uh, you just never know that that could that could happen. And so, um, I, I think the legislature. I don't think you're going to see a whole lot there. I, um, uh, the the um, uh, the whole landscape probably calms down a little bit in October. Brad, I think we're going to have low voter turnout. I just don't think there's a lot of compelling races. And given that we are now 60 days from the election and there's there's not a lot of chatter about it, I don't think that there's enough time to engage people and get them fully vested in this. Uh, I think Jeff Moore for Secretary of State, the Libertarian, is going to do very well. Uh, I think that he's easily going to cross that 10% threshold. And I think Libertarians are going to finish second in a number of counties around Indiana. Uh, and I'm looking forward to a, a a good representation from Libertarian James Siniak in the uh, U.S. Senate race. I think he's going to do a great job. Chip, I give you the last word. Uh, anger has always been a better motivator in politics than uh, than anything else that I've noticed. And I think that uh, you've got a lot of angry voters out there uh, on our side of the aisle. I disagree with my good friend, Brad. I think that our side is have, is highly motivated. They want to send a message. Uh, to uh, the people at the legislature and anybody that, that might receive the message that abortion should be legal in the state of Indiana and they're going to be uh, and they're coming out. Um, and I and I think that uh, people are going to be surprised at 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 the turnout in the Democratic Party. It'll be higher than probably any midterm we've seen in a long time. That's my prediction. All right. Well, our guests on the program today have been Democrat Kip Two, Republican Jim Merritt, Independent Brad Clappenstein. Gentlemen, it's always good to have you here. Thank you very much for being with us. Thanks Glad to be here. You're listening to 93 WIBC. You're listening to Indiana Issues. I'm your host, Abdul Kim Shabazz, the editor and publisher of IndyPolitics.org. Well, as September marks National Recovery Month, Indiana Issues spoke this week with Darius Brandon. He's with the Recovery Center of Indianapolis. He talks about drug addiction in Indiana, as well as his own personal struggle with opioids. Darius, thanks for being with us. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. It's, it's an honor and a pr privilege to be here. Uh, so uh, how is recovery going in the state of Indiana overall? <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll start with a simple question. How big is big? To be uh, totally honest, I, I think the numbers are very underreported. Uh, a lot of people suffer from a substance use disorder in, in silence, 
uh, you have a lot of people out in recovery in the recovery community. And one of the things about the recovery community, like in uh, self-help programs like AA and NA, Alcoholic Anonymous and Narcotic Anonymous, a lot of those people like to remain anonymous. Uh, they like to keep their anonymity. So we, we have a large recovery population here in central Indiana, but we still have plenty of people suffering in silence or people not even aware that they have a substance use disorder. Uh, how has recovery, uh, sort of, the, sort of the, the methods of recovery changed? Because a while back it used to be, okay, it just had a character flaw, a character weakness, but now it's <laughs> now it's something a little bit more, more than that. Uh, yes, the uh, tables have turned. Uh, people used to look at addiction or substance use disorder like as a moral failing. Uh, here recently, I say within the last 15, 15 or so years, maybe even 20 years, people are really starting to understand addiction is it's an, it's a disease, it's a brain disease. It's, it's, it has nothing to do with your, your moral fortitude. It's a disease. It's a disease that's chronic, progressive, and if it goes untreated, potentially fatal. Uh, what At what point did we realize that it was a, it was a chemical brain issue, not necessarily a moral character <laughs> issue? Like I said, in, in the past 50 or so years that we've been doing recovery. <laughs> that, that's, that's a real good question. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good question. I, I think um, <laughs> that's a great question. I, I think the tables have turned. I, I believe people recognize that it was a medical disease, but I think it has gotten more attention since the opioid epidemic. Uh, to be perfectly honest, I think the opioid epidemic had really shined a light on the disease of addiction, and people are, are much more willing to accept that it's a disease as opposed to looking at it as more failing or a criminal justice problem. And, and it's funny you bring that up because I, re- I recall during the, the during the opioid epidemic uh, that it sort of caught a lot of folks off guard and became sort of a public health a public health emergency. Uh, particularly when it started, for lack of a term, hitting sort of suburban areas, whereas before when it was just sort of a quote-unquote inner-city problem, it's like, ah, you know, those guys are just criminals, they all got issues, blah, blah, blah. But when it hit suburbia, now it's a public health issue as opposed to public safety. I'm just I'm just, just, just an observation, my friend. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that, that's that's a good observation. Um, it, it's, it's unfortunate that, uh, once something hit a certain demographic, it, it, it gets more attention. It, it, it's it's very unfortunate, but you know at least it's getting the attention that it deserves now. I understand what you're saying. It it used to be looked more or less as a criminal justice issue. Now it's looked at as it's looked at looked at as a public health issue, which it it is, and it should have always been looked at it. Uh, we cannot lock our way out of, you know, dealing with addiction and substance use disorder. Well, like I used to jokingly say that when it was a quote-unquote black problem, it was called weed, but now it's a white problem. It's not longer a white problem, it's now it's called cannabis. <laughs> I'm just I'm just throwing that, throwing it out there. Our guest in the program today uh, is Darius Brandon. Uh, Darius is with the Recovery Centers of America, as it is uh, Recovery Awareness Month here in the state of Indiana, actually across the country. So we're talking about uh, sort of recovery, recovery-related issues. Uh, Darius, how does a person get addicted 
That that's that's a real good question. Um, it's really it can be a lot of things that that trigger addiction, and, and a lot of times people may start off as using uh, illicit substance as fun, then it progress to a coping mechanism. And then the more you use it, it alters your brain chemistry. And once it alters your brain chemistry and you use more and more, it, it, it moves from just being, you know, you using socially a coping mechanism. You using just to feel normal. Um, and according to the DSM five, once your substance use has started causing negative consequences in your life, there's different criteria for substance use disorder: mild, um, moderate, mild, uh, severe. But once you start experiencing more and more negative consequences, you have gradually moved into that addiction uh, category. Because yeah, I was going to ask, how do you tell the difference between sort of a a, a casual consumer of alcohol or, or maybe marijuana, somebody just has like an edible in their basement every once in a while versus someone with a, with a serious problem or a serious issue they need to get help. Well, it, it, and that's the thing about addiction. It is, it's gradual. Um, it may start off as someone just casually using, and then if it starts to have problems or, or negative consequences, it causes family problems, financial problems, um, job employment problems, criminal justice problem. It's not just a casual thing. You have an addiction. And I'm assuming that uh, the addiction not only affects the person who's addicted, but also their, their family and immediate sort of vicinity of folks. Exactly. Addiction really, and we really get honest with it, addiction is a family disease. It it it, it doesn't just affect that individual. It affects the whole family dynamic. And, and that's one of the things about it. Um, that's very interesting. And one of the things that I like about Recovery Centers of America, because we really work hard at family engagement, educating the family, getting the families involved to support their loved one so they can stay engaged and get the help that they need to recover. Uh, how easy, difficult is it uh, to bring families into the loved one's addiction-related issues? Sometimes are Some families just in denial, like, no, my, my son, my daughter, this this could this doesn't happen in our family. It happens to those other people. Not doesn't happen to us. As as I joke, say denial just isn't a river in Egypt. No, no, no. The, the, denial is, and, and it's it's an acronym that I, I like to share with the patients uh, about denial. D E N I A L. Uh, didn't even know I am lying. And the person that you lie to the most is yourself. And a lot of times, the family member denies that it's a problem because it, it's it's difficult to really face that and, and face that you, your loved one is suffering from a disease that um, can be potentially fatal. So one of the first things we try to do is educate the families on the disease of addiction. And then some families become so frustrated with their loved one, they just cut ties. So if we could get the family engaged, educate them on a, on the disease of addiction, and teach them the difference between enabling they, they loved one and really supporting them in their recovery recovery efforts. That that's a that's a big big piece of the puzzle right there. 
Our guest on the program today is Darius Brandon. Darius is with the Recovery Centers of America at Indianapolis, as it is Recovery Awareness Month here in the United States. We thought we'd talk to Darius about uh, sort of recovery and recovery-related issues. Uh, Darius, I remember, uh, if it's too personal, I totally understand, uh, but you had some recovery issues yourself, I believe. <laughs> yes, sir. Uh, you did your homework. I like that. Yes, I'm a person uh, in long-term recovery. It's just through the grace of God that I I have 10 years of uninterrupted sobriety. Um I'm not ashamed to share that. Uh, my addiction, it affected me and, and my family, my loved ones. Uh, my addiction took me to a place that I never even imagined. Uh, because of my addiction, I lost my career in law enforcement. I was a police officer just shy of 14 years. I uh, lost my career, uh, two failed marriages, went through a whole a bunch of negative consequences. Once I really accepted the fact that I had a problem, that I still have a problem, and got the help that I needed and really surrendered, the healing process uh, began. And once I got sober, had a little over a year of sobriety under my belt, I, I got back in school, retrained myself, and, and that's how I got in this field. So it's it's interesting. One thing about addiction, it doesn't discriminate. It doesn't care about your socioeconomic status, your race, your upbringing. It, addiction can affect anyone. Um, it's interesting. It's interesting when you talk about uh, sort of like I said, addiction doesn't discriminate. You know, whether you're, you're race, gender, socioeconomic status, sexual orientation, it doesn't really matter. Um, I guess my question is: Are there? Does it? Although it doesn't discriminate, does it affect different people in different ways depending on your socioeconomic status? For example, if you're say say maybe wealthy, get a little bit of a sort of a, a different road to hoe versus if you're say someone of, of challenged socioeconomic means. I, I, I like your questions. Um, Unfortunately, that that is true, because if you have the resources, um, you know, there's more treatment options available. uh, Unfortunate. Uh, If you have the resources, you you may be able to avoid some of the negative consequences, um, legal consequences. Um, A lot of times if you have the resources, you you can kind of hide the addiction for a while, but eventually it, it's going to show its ugly face. Um, but the good thing is if you do have the resources, you can, there's more treatment options available. Uh, the state of Indiana, we're working on making more treatment options available for everyone. Uh, you shouldn't just be from a higher socioeconomic status to be able to get help. We're trying to get help for everyone on all different levels. Um when we talk about uh, getting folks help on different levels, what help is there for people who have addiction problems but are limited socioeconomic means? Well, and that's that's a good question. A lot. Of, one of the things I know the state of Indiana did um, within the last five years, and, and Medicaid, uh, Medicaid has started a, a Medicaid SUD waiver where people with substance use disorder can get help if they have Medicaid. They could get outpatient help. They could get residential help. They could get medication-assisted treatment help. So there, there's more resources for people in the lower S, um, SES. Uh, we can continue to do a better job, but we get more resources out for everyone. Darius Brandon, the American Recovery Centers of America, at Indianapolis with us for a few more minutes on the program today. As we talk about sort of National Recovery Month, uh, Darius, uh, when someone realizes that they have a problem, that they have an issue, who usually, I, I, I guess, uh, or, or the family member, who usually brings that to the, the recovery center attention? Is it the individual? Is it the family? Or is it just a just sort of a mix of whomever is closest? 
That's a real good question, and I like that question. A lot of times people, because of their their loved ones, um, that external motivation, uh, loved ones may encourage them to get help. Uh, A lot of times people get help uh, because of the criminal justice system. Uh, The judge may say, hey, you know, either you're going to go to jail or, or you go get help. Uh, your employer may send pe- employers send a lot of people to help. Whatever the motivation, if it's internal or external, as long as the person is open to getting help and being actively engaged in help and trusting the process and continue to stay connected, help is available. Recovery is possible. It's up to the individual, and there's many different pathways to recovery. But it's up to the individual. If they love one, is you know, one thing, I, and I'm glad you said that, because I, I, I look at it like this. Usually it's, they call it the three L's that make people uh, reach out for help. Loved ones, livers, and lawyers. Those are the three people that generally kind of motivate people to go get help. Uh, how easy, difficult has recovery been with the pandemic the past couple of years? I think the pandemic has... We had to learn to adjust to the pandemic, uh, and there's more options with telehealth options. Um, but I think the pandemic kind of exacerbated the problem of addiction because people are isolating, and addiction is a disease of isolation. So when people isolate, you know, they may tend to, you know, engage in that substance just as a coping mechanism. Um, so the recovery industry, we had to take a look. How can we keep people engaged? Telehealth is a big one. Now that, you know, things are shifting with the pandemic, you know, more people are coming to residential treatment. Even in residential treatment during the pandemic, we had to think of ways to keep people actively engaged in our programming. Um, Is recovery easier in an urban environment or suburban environment or rural environment, or does it really matter? I don't believe there's more resources in urban and suburban environments than rural environments. Uh, a lot of rural areas, there's not as many resources. But I think it it, it all is contingent on, on the individual. I, I believe it's up to the individual. If, if they want it, I, I, I share with people, your recovery is almost like, like active addiction. In active addiction, you did whatever you had to do to continue to get that substance. Recovery, you know, if you want it, you go out there and get it. There's sources out there. You can find it. Once you become engaged, you know, we, we're here to help you. You know, we're here to open up the door. We're here to help you. Uh, at Recovery Centers of America, we advocate for the patients. We do whatever we can to really embrace that patient and support that individual in their recovery journey. Uh, final question for you, my friend. I got to ask this. Uh, uh, with uh, with the advent of legalized marijuana in so many places, it's legal recreationally, medicinally in half the half the states. Uh, not yet in Indiana, they're having some debate, uh, some discussion. Uh, do you expect that to make the recovery issue worse, better, uh, or what? What's the discussion with legalized marijuana? <laughs> uh, legalized marijuana. Well, one thing I, I look at it like this: uh, the two substances that take out people more than anything is alcohol and tobacco, and both of those substances are legal. Uh, legalized marijuana, it, it, it makes an individual with a substance use disorder, um, it's easier for them to rationalize it. Well, it's, it's legal. You know, they can rationalize it all they want, 
but I I think you know if you have a problem you 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 have a problem uh, if it's legal or not. One of the things I know I went to a training a couple of years ago, and the facilitators of the trainers they were from the state of Colorado, which was one of the first states that uh, legalized marijuana. And the state, they they share with me that the state is experiencing problems that they did not anticipate, you know, once they legalized marijuana. So legalizing it, alcohol and tobacco is legal. That That's that's my perspective on it. Uh, because we've got uh, a couple minutes left here. If someone uh, wants to get, uh, they say they've got a loved one who needs help or is listening to this conversation, whether it's on the radio or podcast, like, hey, you know what? I have a problem or, you know, my husband, my son, my daughter has a problem, has an issue. Uh, where can they call? How can they, who can they reach out to to get help? Uh, they can call uh, Recovery Centers of America. And our number is easy to remember. is 1-800-RECOVERY, 1-800-RECOVERY. They could call Recovery Centers of America uh, 365 days, 24 hours a day. Uh, help is available. Um just pick up the phones. I think just picking up the phone is, is the hardest part, but once you pick up the phone, that starts the journey of recovery. Like I said, recovery is possible. All right. Well, our guest on the program today has been Darius Brandon uh, with the Recovery Centers of America in Indianapolis, as this is uh, National Recovery Month. So, Darius, my friend, thank you very much for being with us. A really good conversation to have today. Uh, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate being here. And that will do it for this edition of Indiana Issues. Always, you can catch us throughout the week at our parent website, IndyPolitics.org. Indiana Issues, underwritten in part by the Indiana Conference of Mayors, our trust local program, the Indiana Chamber of Commerce, Ivy Tech Community College, the small business law firm with Thrasher, Bushman, and Vocal, the Institute for Quality Education, the Indiana Civil Rights Commission, and Downtown Comics, your place to escape. I'm Abdul Akeem Shabazz. Thanks for joining us, and we'll talk to you next time on Indiana Issues. This podcast was produced and edited by Chris Spangle and Leaders and Legends, LLC. If you're interested in starting a podcast or taking yours to the next level, please contact us at leadersandlegends.net.